In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Well, hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. Something big happened last week. I guess it was actually a couple of weeks ago now, but before I get into all of the details and the thoughts and the frequently asked questions about this decision thus far, I just also wanted to remind you that if any of this sounds intriguing or if you have more questions, there's a few ways you can dive much deeper into this content. One, probably the easiest way is to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now so that you can get future episodes on where we're going with this life and how we got here a little bit as well as subscribing to the email list. That is OrdinarySherpa.com backslash subscribe because it'll give you a starting point. If this sounds intriguing, I know we're (laughs) almost to 100 episodes. So if this sounds intriguing and you don't necessarily want to go all the way back to the beginning, but you want some key touch points along the way, go to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash subscribe and you'll get kind of the, the key points and the key episodes that helped get us here. Another way, there's actually three ways you can dive deeper. Second way would be to read my book, Beyond Normal, A Field Guide to Embrace Adventure, Explore the Wilderness, and Design an Extraordinary Life with Kids. I'm going to be focusing on that third piece of my subtitle there, Design an Extraordinary Life with Kids, and actually live it. And then the third way is I will be doing much more of these in the coming year, but one would be to come meet up with me at the RVE Summit in a couple weeks in Montrose, Colorado. Tickets are super cheap. They're $99, and it's a very casual experience. So I am linking to the entire experience so you can kind of see how it's formatted. It's a really great way to connect and learn from other nomadic entrepreneurs living this adventurous lifestyle. Some might have kids and some might not, but I think it's really fascinating, and I always love connecting. It's a core tenant to who I am and what I believe in. So that's a great way to actually connect with me in the flesh. They, It's going to happen. I'm so excited. To give you some context behind the title of this episode, how do you leave a job you love? This is truth. This has actually been one of the challenging points behind this idea of a family gap year. It is time. Our kids are 12, 10, and 6. Our employers know. The kids all agreed to this. We've hit all the benchmarks that we've agreed to to take that year off that we've been talking about. So we're calling it a gap year. It could also be called a career break a mini retirement. It's a period of time when you stop doing traditional employment and schooling to focus on life. Our gap year may or may not be a year. I don't know yet. We're taking an extended period of time. We want to travel, adventure, explore our interests together. And, you know, I'll walk through this all. You can have your assumptions, but I can guarantee we're not trust fund babies. We're also not irresponsible. We've been planning on this goal for several years. And if you read my book, Beyond Normal, you'll hear a lot of the work that has gone behind this, mostly from a psychology perspective, which I'll dive into a little bit. But also know that you don't have to have this all figured out. We have core concepts and ideas of what this year might look like, but we are also designing it to be flexible, to stay longer if we desire, or, you know, to move along if things just aren't clicking. The trick has been, 
is in my years of getting to this point, one of the hardest parts has been finding a guide on how to leave a job you love. But there isn't one. There's no guide out there. There's a million examples of people who are burned out, who are in a toxic environment, or who have reached financial independence and have decided to do this. And I just felt like, there's really not a good way to do this. And I need to like rationally work through how we got here. And then I'm going to lead off by giving you some tips on how we made this decision and how we shared our decision. So let me back up a little bit. I have not talked extensively about work, and I'm not going to go into a deep dive into what I do and who I work for and all that kind of stuff. But I do want you to know that at age 36, I accepted my dream job. For the last six years, I've been leading a private family foundation and in like an executive leadership role. And what that means is it's my responsibility to guide grant making, meaning I give away a substantial amount of money each year. I facilitate strategy with community leaders. I get to see the change that grant making has through nonprofits and the trajectory of people's lives. And a lot of this work has been in in the mental health space, but also in just community change work and things around Yeah, I have a lot of examples. That's not what this is about. (laughs) But what I'm telling you about is I also have had the responsibility to do all of the back office and business leadership work, and I didn't know that I loved it. I have really fallen in love with like optimizing business operations and back office systems and minimizing pain points and mitigating risk, you know, all this stuff behind the scenes that I didn't even know that I loved. It's helped me really grow in this role, but I've also had a ton of You know, I look at like, for example, I was looking at burnout and there's this ABC, uh, autonomy, belonging and contribution. You know, if you don't have those things, it's usually a good sign of burnout. I'm like, I have all of them. I have a ton of professional and personal autonomy. I I feel like I have really great relationships with people. And I also feel like I've been well compensated, that my ideas mattered, that there was this like regular gratitude for the work that I did. And so it sounds like a dream job, right? Because it was, it was, it truly was work that lit me up. So the decision to come to this point, which was that I needed to resign to take this gap year, didn't come lightly. Uh, In fact, I worked through all of the other options first, and I'm going to get into those, as I considered what was possible. And I couldn't find one example of someone who willingly left a job they loved and like how they did it. How did they communicate it? What were the factors that they took into consideration? What other things did they work through? Almost every scenario was with, you know, someone leaving a toxic work environment. That just, that wasn't my story, which is why this decision does not seem rational. But it's why I also feel so compelled to share how I came to this decision and the steps that I took and the various options that I tested. So why am I leaving a job I love? And the answer is simple. Because I have kids that are 12, 10, and 7. And if ever there was a right time to take a gap year and explore the world, this is it. And it feels a little bit morbid in some ways. Because I know as I like look back on my life, I, I know on the things that I think I will regret doing this or not doing this. I know that in my heart, I'm not going to regret taking a gap year. But it just feels... I don't even have a word for it. It feels so irrational to leave this job. It's an extremely personal decision. And I also just want you to know, like, you can look at everything through your own lens. If you're in a place that you're thinking about this, everyone's lens is going to be different. I'm not here to try to make you understand. But what I will say is it's been ongoing conversations with my kids, with my spouse, with my boss. It's been a critical 
conversation that's been going on throughout this entire journey. And so I'm going to share some of that and attempt to answer both the tactical and strategic questions that have led to our approach. But I also will mention, you know, I go a lot into more detail on some of the psychological stuff. And I mentioned that in the beginning. If you want to go into that on the book, there's a lot more tools and examples and exercises and stuff that helped me get here. So I have 10 questions that I'm going to answer today. I'm going to kind of tip the surface, hopefully, on a couple of them. And some of them are going to require an entire episode to dive deeper into them. But the 10 questions I've already been asked are, what's the real reason you're leaving? Why a gap year? Why not a sabbatical? Couldn't you just work part-time? What will you do with your kids for schooling? Won't this impact your child's education? That's kind of question four. Question five is what about relationships with friends and family? Number six, what about health insurance? Number seven, what are you going to do? Like what is a typical day going to look like? Number eight, aren't you nervous with inflation and the opportunity cost of having a gap in your career? Number nine, what was the hardest part? And number 10, how can you afford this? So I'm actually going to take them in reverse order because I feel like they're easier to answer the further along they get and they're harder to answer in some of those early questions. So we'll start with 10. How can you afford to do this? Both my husband and I came from working class families where the only way to get ahead was to work more and to work hard. So learning about financial independence really was a game changer. And it became less about following the formula and more about how might we look at money differently? What do we actually want to spend our money on? How does that feel? What do we want in life? Is our spending aligned with our values? So for example, I really love hanging out with friends, but I don't really love happy hours. Is that the way it has to be? I'd rather sit around a campfire than at a bar. I'd much rather be actively hiking than sitting in a spa. Like These are just things that we found that we were still getting the value of the experience and the connection time and the things that filled our cup, but we didn't necessarily have to do it in a way that diminished or utilized dollars that we didn't value. So I refer to this in the book as the joy audit. This was critical for me in getting a handle on what do I actually value? Am I using money as a coping mechanism? Am I shopping? Am I buying all these things to really cope with the things that I would think I want in my life? And do I actually want those things? And so that's really been helpful. It helped me really define what does joy look like for each member of the family, not just me. And then what are the time and money resources that are required for a highly rated joyful experience? So again, I can geek out on this. I'm not going to. That's something you need to go to the book for. But there's really two answers to this overall question of how can you afford to do this? One of them is math. And I'll go into the you know some tools that we've used to get there. And the other is psychology. Most of it is mindset. The math is pretty direct. Your income minus your expenses equals the gap. The goal is to grow the gap and then use tools to reduce the impact of that, right? So I'm not necessarily a natural budgeter follower. I'm, I don't like rules very much, so budgets feel constricting. But I'm very thrifty and I'm creative and always looking for ways to optimize for value and finding tools that can help, I guess, make things easier, so that budgeting or tracking my spending didn't feel painful. Learning the tools, you know, the financial tools that were available was really helpful. Things like automating our savings. And I use credit cards to pay for all of my expenses because I can pull an expense report at the end of the month and then categorize it. It does all the categorizing for me and I can get travel rewards from it. So there was a lot of different tools that we just found worked for us. The psychology behind it, though, is harder. Because I quickly learned, like, we're not normal. (laughs) Because there's this principle called, oh gosh, I've, 
essentially like you're going to fill the amount of time that you have, regardless of how much time it actually takes. So if I have an hour, I'm going to fill an hour. If I have 15 minutes, I'm going to fill 15 minutes. And you get the job done, whether you have 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And that's very true with money too. And I apologize. I can't think of like the rule. It starts with a P. It's not Pareto's rule, but it's something like that. Anyway, I realized that if I give myself all this time or all this money, I would spend it. Where So I had to like trick myself. I had to give myself and take money out of my checking account so that I didn't see that I had money available to spend. Get rid of the stuff that clutters up our life. I started to notice things that were, I call them anchors. They were slowing us down. They weren't bringing much value. These were often expensive things that maybe offered like a quick dopamine hit. But then in three to 12 months, they had very little value or meaning in our life. Even on vacation, like when we were traveling, I was noticing like you're on a little vacation high, right? So you spend more. And when we started talking about, and we did some experiments, like I talked about in the last episode, when we started doing experiments, we're no longer in vacation mode. We have a lifestyle that we need to maintain. And so the budget around time and money looked very different. From the technical perspective, our family of five, the yearly costs are roughly seventy-five to ninety thousand dollars, and I'm giving myself that window because seventy-five is still comfortable. I know that inflation is happening, so I'm also planning for a decent jump. We increase our savings each year to eventually live off my salary and save my husband's. So that was kind of how we tricked ourselves immediately into not having all of this money. This isn't financial advice by any means, but I really find like understanding the tools that we use and how we're utilizing those tools is helpful. So I'm going to share what tools we have at our disposal and how we're using them. Please don't take this as financial advice, but if it helps you, great. The 401k and the 403b, these are long-term retirement funds. So we were able to reduce our taxable income now to be a source of income at age 59 and a half. And we use these funds, so there's several of them. As our Coast Fi funds, Coast Fi determines the amount we need to reach, like how much do we need to save now so that we can stop contributing and allow that amount of money to compound over time so that when we reach retirement age, we will have what we need in, in retirement, allowing us to really back off our savings rate. That was a number. Our Coast Fi number was really the target number that we were working for to create a benchmark in our 401k and our 403b. The next tool we used was a 457. This is a deferred compensation fund. So, and, and these are only available to certain types of employers. So you may or may not have this, but essentially what happens with a 457 is when you sever employment, this can be used without penalty to cover living expenses. So we saved a year's worth of living expenses with the intention of using it for living expenses once we were no longer employed. This is kind of an emergency fund, so to speak, that is going to help cover some longer range living expenses if we need them. We also have a Roth IRA. So this is a post-tax savings that grows through investments, but it can also be withdrawn tax-free. The contributions can be withdrawn before age 59 and a half without penalty. So that's important. It has to be the contributions. It cannot be the earnings. But after 59 and a half, everything can be withdrawn tax-free. We also have learned, and you should know, that children can also have a Roth IRA if they are receiving income. So while this is has nothing to do really with our gap year, it's just like a tool that you should be aware of. This is going to actually be our backup emergency fund. So if we had an accident or something happened that is going to require, you know, 
say the RV breaks down and it's a huge expense or who knows what it was, you know, something that insurance doesn't cover, we would have the the contribution amounts in our Roth IRA. Not ideal. It's not our first line of defense. It's like the backup to the backup. So our Roth IRA is a tool that is available. We have a taxable brokerage fund. So this is essentially our savings fund. It's an investment fund, meaning we automatically contribute post-tax money to this account each month. It's automated. I never see it, but it also gives us access to cash when we need it. This is the fund that we're going to use first for our gap year expenses. We also have a savings account, and this is more just, again, going back to the psychology of it. It was a way to get money out of my checking account, so it didn't look like I had money even though I have money. (laughs) So our savings account is just kind of a placeholder and it's a little safety net from month to month. And then the HSA is just something to be aware of again too. This is again a backup for health-related expenses. A health savings account is a triple win. We put in pre-tax money into an investment account so it grows tax-free and can be used tax-free to cover healthcare expenses forever. We currently are cash flowing the majority of our healthcare expenses, and we're saving all of our receipts now so that we can be reimbursed for them at a later date. So all of these tools essentially are available to consider what the financial benchmarks are that you need. The other thing I should say is, you know, we've really considered what we need. We've tested numbers over periods of time, but we're also still considering some work, some selective work. You know, I'm saying things like, project-based, contracting, or consulting, which leads me into really the next part of this question. I'm going to move on to actually number nine. What's been the hardest part of this? Emotionally, I am invested in the work that I'm doing, and I don't think I'm done yet. So there's this like contribution piece that I'm most nervous about. I have more to contribute. Both my husband and I are very honest in saying that we're coming back. We're not retiring. We're not early retirement. We plan to come back to the sector, and we have a desire to stay connected to the work. So There might be income in our gap year, but we'll see what that looks like. I'm not committing to a job. You know, it's kind of funny because some people have said, oh, you're looking. And I was like, no, actually, I'm I'm not looking, but I want to stay connected. It's very different. I'm being very selective about that. So project-based contract consulting work, it might mean part-time remote work once we're on our way, but I'm being really careful to create the boundary to not say yes to anything yet. As we've done the financial modeling on our life, we're not requiring income but neither of us are opposed to it. I know we're not going to sit around forever. (laughs) I know that I still enjoy doing some work. So that is something that we're still open to, and we don't exactly know the answer to that yet. However, the financial modeling is not based on income. So it essentially gives us more runway if we do end up earning an income. Number eight, are you nervous? Heck yeah. There's this thing called inflation. And this gap could be potentially an opportunity cost in my resume. I'm less concerned about that. I mean, we've been following the things. And yet we know ourselves enough to know that we've tested so many various elements to this life. In terms of like the range of costs and backup funds, like we've really considered a lot of different options and tested against them. There's also a considerable amount of transition happening in our life all at once. (laughs) So not just work, but life. And then there's life and school with three kids and my husband. And there's just some days that I want to take that book of anxiety off the shelf and allow myself the time to really feel it and be there in it. And I could sit there with all those worst case scenarios, but I give myself the time and then I put that book back on the shelf. Because quite honestly, I've also done practice in meditation. I've done some work around fear setting. So I just take a deep breath. I ground myself and... 
I know that book will be waiting for me whenever I'm wanting to pull it back out. But lingering with fear and anxiety really isn't helping solve anything. It's just keeping me stuck. So I share a couple of practices in the book to help keep these feelings in line. Things like mindfulness, like fear setting, like manifesting. They're really important to me. And I guess to answer the question, are you nervous? I would respond, I'm human. <laughs> I have done a, I have a variety of feelings on any given day. The days have been positive. And then there's these, you know, like newly public feelings that I have to experience all over again. It is interesting, though, starting probably this week, even a little bit last week, I'm noticing I have much more confidence than I expected. I'm able to look at my next few months with fresh eyes. I'm feeling really encouraged by our decision. And I know a lot of people are really kind of wrestling with like, what does this mean and have a lot of questions. So it's been interesting because I've also learned that it is not my job to have other people understand why I'm doing this. And I came to terms with that long before I decided to go public and and make this decision that if someone doesn't understand, that's okay. They, they don't need to understand. It's our life and this is what we've chosen to do. Question seven, what are you going to do? Where are you going? What will a typical day look like? And I kind of want to just be like, ha ha ha, that's a good question. <laughs> this might be the most loaded question. I think the biggest assumption is that we will travel. And yes, that is true. We will travel. We don't have anything planned yet. What I can tell you is that we are going to be traveling for sure at times when we couldn't travel under a traditional school schedule. And we'll come home too. The way we're approaching it is that it has less to do with like the destinations and more to do with the people we want to see and connect with that just doesn't seem to happen in our regular lives. So relatives and friends who we've liked to connect deeper with, linger longer and learn more about our current life just feels busy and we always have to get back for something, right? We are very aware that our kids will still want to hang out with other kids. We plan to spend a majority of our time in the RV, you know, traveling across the country. I'm hoping to even host potentially some ordinary Sherpa meetups, hosting maybe some fun community-based friendly family adventures or retreats or something like that. We see our RV as a vacation home on wheels that we can take with us anywhere, but we aren't necessarily opposed to travel hacking or finding some cheap flights on a Tuesday and heading overseas. I don't know what that looks like. The intention remains that we are here to inspire families to connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. That is our jam. That is what we do. That's what we believe in. And that is why we are doing this. To give you just a sense of what I think this might look like this weekend, kind of spontaneously, with a little bit of planning and like a quick text message, <laughs> we decided to take the RV to my cousin's house. We parked in their driveway. And the first day, my husband helped around the house with a few projects. So they had just moved into their house. This was completely unplanned. They were just minor things that, you know, as he was looking around or talking them to, you know, like, what are the pain points of moving in? Anything you got to work on? He just did this. Like, he's a handyman. He can't help himself. The kids played around in the yard. We played in the sandbox. The boys went fishing. We jumped in the lake a couple times. That night, we had a campfire. And we made a really great campfire snack to share. We all slept in our respective beds. And the next day, we went to a farmer's market. We walked through this little storybook garden that was just sitting in the parking lot. And I asked my daughter to take a picture by. And then we realized, like, oh, this is like an actual trail. This is cool. We ate a late lunch at a brewery, hiked to a waterfall, and then grabbed some ice cream and headed home and went to bed. If I had to describe, like, that's what I think our ideal life will look like when we are in our gap year. I can't stress enough, though, 
I don't think I would be here saying that that's our ideal life without that foundation of creating simple adventures in your own backyard. Because so much of this we've learned is not about the bucket list or these exotic adventures. It's really these simple building blocks that are defining our entire lifestyle. We're finding that we can travel anywhere and we have so much fun doing the simple things. The majority of this lifestyle doesn't cost that much. And if we can travel slower, we can also maintain our gas budget a little bit better. I know some of you are saying, but inflation, inflation. And I can say like, yeah, I know. We tested, we traveled 5,000 miles this summer at the peak of gas prices on purpose so that we could experience what does this feel like? What does it feel like to spend an insane amount of money on gas? And are we okay with that? We've really adjusted and figured it out. And that's, that's why we're moving forward. The time old question, what about health insurance? This one's going to get its own episode because there's so many variables at play. And I want you to really understand what some of those variables are and the questions you can begin asking. So one factor to share is that we, (laughs) I kind of joke, we met our deductible on January 1st, both in network and out of network because of my daughter's bike accident. Because of that, we are sticking with COBRA for the remainder of this calendar year. It's not nearly as expensive as I was expecting it to be, but we were comparing all the price. And again, we did the formula and we did some modeling. And if we had to pay another deductible in the last three months of this year, it would really be considerably more expensive. Once you're on the road, there's some other considerations I want to walk through and many more details. So that's why that is going to require its own episode. And I have someone in mind who's going to help walk through some of those questions, at least to ask. The next question is, what about relationships with friends and family? I actually am most excited about this. As I stated, one of the reasons we are doing this is because connection is a huge factor in how we're designing this experience. We are determining where to go based on the people we want to see. We will invite others to join us or meet up if their schedule allows, but we'll also be home for critical holidays. And quite frankly, whenever we feel like coming home, we're going to come home. So for example, we have been camping with a core group of friends every Memorial Day weekend since 2007. We are planning to come home to go camping with our friends. I know another huge part of my son and husband's life is hunting. Like I had to plan my wedding around it, you guys. I legit am not going to get my family, in particular my husband and my son, to miss an entire season of hunting. So there will be some time in the fall that we come home for duck hunting, bow hunting, and deer hunting. And that's just part of how we're designing the experience. I actually think, you know, when I think about all the relationships that I have with extended relatives or friends and family that we don't see very often, it's usually these like quick hits, these big immersion you know, weddings and funerals and things that I'm always wishing, like there's a million people there. You never get to dive deep. It's always small talk. And so through travel, we're actually thinking that these experiences and this lifestyle is going to strengthen relationships. And I'm pretty excited about that. Number four, what will you do for the kids schooling? Won't this impact their overall progress? So you might If you're asking this question, you might have some study to do, (laughs) or I might offer you some resources. Both my husband and I are certified teachers, so that helps because we've had some educational theory and some work behind the scenes that have helped us get to where we are both as parents, but also our approach to education. The truth is we've been experimenting with various forms of homeschooling on the road for on and off about three years. In the summertime, we do all kinds of different things to test this. So we've kind of landed on the fact that our kids will attend public school this fall, and then we're going to switch to homeschool when we feel like the time is right. So there's not this hurry up, 
figure this all out before the school starts, which is in September for us in Wisconsin. So we're really allowing them to go through the motions of back to school, feel it, get used to it, and allow them to decide when is it time to go? When are they ready to be on a break? When are they ready to leave? At that point, we'll transition to homeschool. I guess in terms of how we're going to do this, we are going to be using an interest-led learning model with a weekly checklist to offer some structure. And then there's some additional add-on experiences. So things like piano lessons, some sports activities they're engaged in. So they're not missing out on the entire school experience. It just looks very different. But I also encourage you to look at educational theory. I was just actually in my job. (laughs) I was meeting with a children's museum and they had done a research study that looked at after school activities at a, you know, traditional educational setting and after school educational experiences at the museum doing hands-on experiential based learning. And guess who does better on tests, folks? (laughs) It's been really fascinating, but I also care less and less about the tests. I am more interested right now at my kids' well-being. They're at really critical junctures, and I want them to continue to love learning. Much like my husband and I, we aren't leaving traditional work sitting at the beach all day, every day, which we're not allowing our kids to sit on the beach every day, all day either. We're going to have traditional schooling kind of behind us, but we're also going to be fostering this experiential learning on the road. And I do have an episode with Jenna of The Rogue Learner. I'll link to that in the show notes, too, because she does a really good job of explaining what a self-directed or experiential-based learning look like. Number three. Okay, so this gets into why did you resign? Like, weren't there other options? I don't think you have to quit your job. I really didn't want to quit my job if you haven't figured that out. I really didn't want to, but it came down to several things, and I'm going to get into why. So couldn't you just work part-time? I've had this conversation with my boss for well over six months. And it was an option on the table, and I tested it a couple of times to see, even as we restructured the organization and we added staff, being in a leadership role, there's still this question of, is part-time feasible? And I tested it for a couple of weeks, and I ultimately decided that in order for me to be authentically leading an organization that is place-based, meaning the foundation that I lead is deeply connected to the needs of the community and helping drive change, It wasn't so much about the structure of the job, it was being authentic in the role. And so traveling around the world with my family while trying to lead an organization that is based in our community and rooted in community change, it just didn't feel authentic. And I felt like I had to choose between, you know, being an authentic leader or living out my personal brand and family adventures around the country. And and that's where it kind of came down to that, actually. That was part of the reason I felt like I had to resign and allow the organization to move on and find their next leader. What about a sabbatical? (laughs) Well, that's question number two. We explored this too. We talked about, you know, what would be feasible, and they agreed to a potential sabbatical. But the timeline that would work for the organization and the timeline I was hoping for just didn't work out. Um, We looked at things like interim CEOs. We looked at all different models. And in the end, it just didn't feel like... It felt like a sabbatical was going to be an extended vacation where it takes you a while to come like unplug from work and just kind of come down. And then you kind of get in your lifestyle and your zone. But in a vacation, there's already this anticipation on coming back. This, um, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but we felt it very strongly this summer that once we made the decision to come home, everybody's entire mood changes, the mindset shifted. 
you could just feel the heaviness. And I was afraid that if I didn't give myself enough time, we weren't going to really experience what we were hoping to experience on this adventure. And it would just be another extended vacation. And I would be saying again next year, this is the longest vacation we've ever taken. Well, that's not really what I were looking for. I'm not really looking for a vacation, an extended vacation. I'm really looking to think differently about how we live our lives and explore and learn so much more from other people along the way and build deep relationships. So it didn't feel right to consider a sabbatical either. I really wanted to leave the organization in the best place possible and be fair, even with an interim role. I'm like, who wants to be that person, right? That comes on for a year and gets a leadership role and then the old leader gets to come back and take the reins. Like that didn't feel good. So I just tried to put myself in a lot of different people's shoes and it came back to authentic leadership and really leaning into why we're doing this. So understanding your why is important. And that's going to be number one. How do you leave a job you love? This is the question that I had the hardest time finding the answers to. And I'll say this over and over again. And it's why I feel compelled to record this episode, because it comes down to why I'm leaving. And if I had to answer this question, you know, if anybody says, so why are you leaving? The answer is because my kids are 12, 10, and 7. If I don't do this now, I will always wonder. There's this quote, and I remember it from seventh grade. I don't remember why it stuck so hard, but from Grumpy Old Men, there's a quote that says, the only things you regret in life are the risks you didn't take. My kids are going to be in an entirely different stage in five years. My parents are nearing their 70s. Their health might be in a completely different place in five years. My body is not nearly in the place I would like it to be in. And in five years, if I don't do something, I'm just, there are certain things that can't go back. My health being one of them, time with my kids is another. I feel like in the long run, I can get another job. And even though I'm not running away from this job, the pull of what I'm leaning towards is so much stronger. I'm not burned out. I mean, don't read into all these things that people think I'm leaving for. I'm not. I I read a research study, you know, that there's three signs. Autonomy, I already said this. Do you have personal or professional autonomy? Yes. Do you feel like you belong? Yes. Do you feel like your contributions matter? Yes. I mean, I'm failing the burnout quiz. The truth is it's not the leadership or the culture or the work. I'm leaving the work I love to experience a life I desire. This is an amazing opportunity. I recognize that this is a dream job for someone else. My time has come. I've had so much to be grateful for. And it took me a while to get to this point to really appreciate and be proud of all the things I've accomplished in this role. But it's also why I want to leave now. I want to leave on top and make this the best organization that someone else will get to pull the reins up and lead and just really be proud of the work. I, you know, it's it's been interesting how I mentioned how my brain has shifted even in the short amount of time, because now I'm no longer emotionally attached to seeing myself in the future of this organization. I can actually objectively look at the next four months and say, okay, now I know what needs to happen because I can look at it with a different lens as like a fresh eyes outside coming in, as opposed to being a part of the future. So the emotional attachment has actually helped me really transition better. And lastly, how do you leave a job I love? You leave the door open. I have more to contribute. I'm not looking for another job. I can consider ways to support the work in different ways. There's projects, trust me, that I would love to see through. And that's, you know, hard to walk away from. Maybe I'll have the time and energy to create a solution to solve a problem that I face as an executive that might help another foundation leader. Some of you have already asked, does that mean more ordinary Sherpa? 
Not necessarily. I'm hoping it'll give me more space to think about it and be less stressed in creating these episodes for you each week. But I want to be really careful not to turn Ordinary Sherpa into a job. But I'm excited to give it more mental capacity and refine systems and content that got us here. So we're several months out from our actual gap year, but I wanted to give you guys the insight, like, how do you leave a job you love? This is part about leaving a job, but it's also about how do you get to this place mentally? What's best for you? What's best for the organization? And it's kind of funny because now I have a hit list, a top 10 things I want to get done at work. And it's giving me the time to figure things out and reach out to friends and family about this upcoming experience, but also still enjoying this last little portion of this ride called my dream job and honoring and acknowledging all that it can be. I'm allowing myself to be present for four months, and I'm really appreciating this runway. That is The Ordinary Sherpa Guide to How Do You Leave a Job You Love. Feel free to reach out to me with additional questions. I will keep creating content on this episode and on this theme around how do you leave a job you love on designing a gap year. I've already talked about many of the questions that will require us to go deeper, but I'd love to continue to answer your questions, have conversations, and really explore what could an extraordinary life be like. As I referenced in the beginning of this episode, if you want to dive deeper and learn more between now and next week, hit subscribe on the podcast player so you make sure you do get the new content or feel free to join the email list at OrdinarySherpa.com backslash subscribe. Read my book. You can dive into all the content there or come meet up with me at the RVE Summit in a couple of weeks. Again, all the links to that is in the show notes. Until next week, I hope you do something fun, something adventurous, and we'll talk again soon value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.